body in front of you. Trying to look, he throws it alley. Oh! Welcome in to another episode of the Just Basketball Show. I am Brendan Clean. That is Chris Manning. Thank you for listening wherever you're finding us. We're on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. If you're finding us for the first time, hit follow, hit subscribe. Give us a nice rating or review. And if you are on YouTube, drop a comment with your thoughts on our main topic today, which is going to be uh, veteran standouts. These guys, and there are a lot of them, Chris, who are having these breakout seasons Late in their careers, in this new era of, of offense and explosions every night and, yes. and crazy scoring. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, I want to run through some NBA news with you to start here. And I have a game. Are you ready? I love a game. Let's do it. Okay. I didn't prep you that I was going to do it this way, That's so fine. I will explain it to you and the audience. We are going to do a game called What Matters Most, all right? And I have a few options for you. And we can talk. You can interrupt me. We can talk through them as we go. We're not going to include John Morant. We'll get to that in a second in detail. But these are some of the games and, and headlines that have come up in the past little while. We have Michael Porter Jr. and Zach Collins, as well as Trey Lyles and Brooke Lopez choking one another. Mm-hmm. All right, that's option number one. Does that sound good, Chris? Sure. We have we have Boston allowing 54 points in the paint and 59% shooting in the restricted area to the Houston Rockets and losing a game that they should not have. My my alarm, but my my we ding, have, ding, 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 ding. That's what that we're starting there. I don't care what else we're going to talk about. We're starting there. Okay. All right. Tell me what you think, because I, I just uh, caught up on this game, and it was the worst version of the Celtics. And it's not unexpected, but it when it's Houston, I think it's it's bad. I think it's okay right now to be worried about Boston. I th- I think like it's okay to I like this tease is a little bit ahead, but I would put Milwaukee ahead of them in, in the East right now. Philly, I think, is certainly playing better at the current moment. And like I do think Boston, when you get to the playoffs, the way they play the way their defense works, if they're healthy, should work. But like, it's a lot of just like one shot or one pass and nothing now. I don't think Marcus Smartsman is good this year. And like, you lose to a team like Houston. And like, this isn't the, the part of the NBA season where it can get weird. Teams looking to the playoff, yeah. guys are taking <laughs> nights off, things get a little wonky. But like, the process just doesn't feel quite right to me for Boston like it just something feels off in that water right now and it makes me look at them just like when you lose to Houston like that and you just like it, Houston's like actively trying to lose Tillman Fertitta like said this on like a local TV interview like that team's not good that team is lacking any cohesion and you just kind of falter in that way I I, I think that's like a warning sh- that's like a that's a red flag to me you know that just is, and I'm a, so I'm a little worried about the the Celtics right now. Yeah, they're uh, 20th in offense since March 1st. They are not getting to the free throw line. They are not getting any offensive rebounds. They just make things hard on themselves. And I think this is a team. I've heard uh, Celtics reporters refer to fake ball movement. Yeah, yeah. With them, and I would also throw in fake spacing. I know that there's a certain benchmark of threes that you have to take in order for teams to care that you have shooting on the floor. But I think especially when they don't have Robert Williams healthy, you just, they fall into bad habits. You know, your two best players, Jalen Brown was, was very good. He got to the basket often, although even he had some, some maybe bad shot selection given the moment in that second half. But Six of 20 from three for your two best players. I'm more honestly worried about the 20, right? That that just doesn't feel like the best way to play, especially with uh, Houston not already not having a lot of rim protection and then not even having Shangun in this game. So I think when they are just so reliant on, you know, a couple of passes and then a quick three, it just, it it kind of takes, any team could do that, right? It takes what makes them special 
almost out of the equation and it, and it just becomes another small ball team, another three chucking team, which a lot of NBA teams are these days. It, it just, it makes them a lot less threatening. And you combine that with some bad defense. Again, Robert Williams not being there to yes. protect the basket for them. I mentioned the defense being bad as the the thing in my intro there of, of what the real problem was. The Rockets were getting to the basket whenever they wanted. They got 27 free throw attempts and the Celtics have an ugly L. I something they just don't feel like I, I think like the fake describing their stuff as fake like feels right. Like that's a very apt at its worst, right? Yeah, and it, it feels as if like Tatum has been brilliant all year. He's having like a, a great season. Brown's been great this year, but it doesn't feel like even like the role guys. Like I, I think like a lot of other teams would have kind of in theory like killed for their depth, right? Like I could tell you like Cleveland would like kill to have Jake hit the bell. Ding, ding, ding. Are you drinking a Starry right now, Brendan? No, I'm drinking a Lacroix. Okay, it's about to be like, what do we, what do we do? Sponsor us. Yeah, I would love the Lacroix bag. Give me that bag, but. Like, Grant Williams would be playing on, like, a lot of other teams, and his kind of feel in the rotation right now, and against, especially against certain opponents, is just different. Like, Time Lord's not playing. He's a really big deal. Like, the whole reason their defense kind of kicked up to this historic level in part last year is because Time Lord was, like, a legit defensive player of the year candidate, and now he just feels like he hasn't been around this year just because of the injury stuff. So everything just feels off. Like, I... Like, you look at these other teams in the yeah. East, you look at Milwaukee, I think, in particular, but also, I think, Philly, the momentum is there. The momentum is pushing those teams forward, and Boston just feels like they're not. And I, I think that's a really weird place to be in March. Maybe it's fake. Maybe they're awesome. I would, there's a lot to still like about it, but something just feels a little, a little off to me. Well, and we saw them have the opposite season last year, right? So I think it's just, it's kind of new where they felt like the the team no one wanted to see, the team with all the momentum, all that stuff that gets built up in March and April in the NBA regular season, that all favored them last year. Now it's it's the opposite. Grant Williams is, is not playing really. They traded for Mike Muscala to sort of be their cornet replacement, a little bit more of a steady option than, than Luke Cornett. And now he is getting DNPs. So... Yeah, it feels it feels like they are scuttling not only just with some bad performances, but just a little bit of an identity crisis at times, especially considering they don't even have injuries really to chalk it up to outside of Robert Williams. Their best guys tend to play. Yeah. And yet uh, it, it, it hasn't really mattered. All right, let's get to the next one. Um, and we can I'll, I'll keep going. You interrupt me when you want to. We have Jason Kidd subtweeting a Mavs podcaster in his postgame press conference, um, a viral tweet going going uh apparently onto Jason Kidd's phone and him feeling the need to shout that out and and criticize that after a loss rather than anything you know related to the games. Uh we have Clay Thompson going for 30 and a half and the Warriors beating the Suns. Ding 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 ding. Let's and talk we about have this. Okay. This is All right. Clay this Let's this, this is a follow up to what we just talked about the other day, Brendan. I can't quit him. I can't quit the Warriors. If Clay's going to do this and just be a flamethrower, and I understand there were some things in that Suns game from the Suns' perspective that didn't go right. I, I, I saw, I was, I was very apt to like some of the Terrence Ross stuff in particular and seeing some of maybe he's overthinking things right now and like just kind of not totally settling in. And obviously, they don't have KD. But like Clay looks awesome. And again, like he's not going to be throw him on like a, a big wing or a point guard type in the playoffs anymore. But like this team's recipe is going to be like, Draymond leading the defense, the eternal somehow Andre Goodell taps into like a Lazarus pit and like, you know, ascends to like a, the the last version of himself this one last time, and they just score a crap ton of points. Yeah, we'll see if he gives them anything. Yeah, but I, I, he's, yes. he's playing. He did he's, play. He, he, That's a step forward. Abbott, right? Abbott Elementary guest star andre godala which is an incredible sentence uh if you haven't watched that show like i think that's also like the highlight of what he's been up to this season not to be disrespectful but the man is old it's a waste of a roster spot it's just an honorary thing it i actually think it the godala part is is gonna get more scrutiny oh, if yes. they don't have the depth to make it through because it's like we do this with the heat right why does udonis haslam get a roster spot it's kind of be gone from like a cool thing slash joke to like Probably could use a better player in that slot, and I wonder if the same thing happens with Iguodala. No, but yeah, the rest I, of the guys were awesome. Yeah. This was a vintage Warriors win. Clay being like this, Clay being a flamethrower like this, and just looking comfortable is so fun. And like their offense is going to be able to go toe to toe with teams if they can do this. I don't know who they're getting in the first round. The West is a jumble, 
But if Clay looks like this, he looks right. Him and Steph is just like good good luck. Like good luck really dealing with that, honestly. He This is two really nice wins for them. Bucks obviously didn't have Giannis and then this. These are two really, really nice wins. Did this did this on the Sun side of this though? Because I think that that's either part of this. Did this raise any like alarm bells for you? Did this like kind of pique your interest in any one way or the other? It's really hard to judge the role players with the team being minus its best player, right? I mean, that's that's the easy thing to look at is that these guys who are supposed to be kind of five through 10 on your roster really just did nothing in this game. And you talked about Terrence Ross offensively. I think defensively, he is just in all of these matchups, whether it's Dallas or Milwaukee or Golden State, the best teams he just has not been able to really hold up you know, up and down. I think that's really why they lost this game. The The Warriors were able to funnel shots, especially late in the game, to players not named Devin Booker, and they were not able to make them. And so that's the the problem from the Suns' side of things. They also just got out to an awful start. They were down yeah. 20 in the first quarter. But it's just hard for me to say, well, you know, Torrey Craig is the reason they lost, and that's a big red flag when it's like, well, Torrey Craig's role is going to be dramatically different when he's not playing 30 minutes and starting when Durant is in there. So I don't know. It 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 is a red flag. The way that I kind of put it with the Suns, Chris, is this was a reminder that even with Durant, they probably have four proven two-way players on the entire roster. The Warriors have at least six. And they have guys like Poole and Peyton beyond that who are at the very least specialists, but on their best days, also two-way players that can get you to like eight guys. So yeah, I, I think this is a this is this showed why Suns Warriors would be a fun matchup, why it would be no no sure thing on either side, and you know, why it would probably be one of the more fun things we might actually be able to see in the first round when you add in the fact Durant still has not played a game in front of Warriors fans since he left the team. So we still have not seen that. Uh, I have one more for you, though, Chris, on this What Matters Most game. Okay. Scoot Henderson being shut down for the last five games of the Ignite season. Mm. This is cu- this is coming right after, and, and neither you or I, I don't, I don't think our draft experts, especially because our teams are well, good this year and we don't have to I, be. But I, I do want to shout out. This was right after, like, people were, yeah. moving, were, were moving Scoot Henderson down, and then he's getting shut down. It's been a weird week for the 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 stuck in cement idea of Wemby Scoot and then what it's kind of changing. I want to shout out our guy Raphael Barlow from uh, NBA Draft Big Board because he was on this Brandon Miller could be like a top two pick thing a couple months ago in his newsletter, uh, which you can check out on Substack. We're going to get him on the show. I'm I'm putting this in the ether now. We're going to get him on the show like May June because he is like an absolute draft savant. My favorite person to to text and ask basketball. Just a good dude too. He was on this, and it makes sense. Like, Miller has the size. Apparently, like, the stuff that happened that is going on at Alabama happened in Alabama just, like, doesn't matter. Like, that's just, like, out of the question. It would, it would, it would appear that it way. It would appear that yeah. we've just, like, moved past that, which, okay. I can't help but look at Scoot and just think that that's the guy I would take to. And I, I'm with you. I don't watch as much draft stuff in that way. Like, I, I catch these guys later. But I've watched some Ignite stuff. I've seen him um, in person also last year. And then you see him from time to time now. And like that just looks like an NBA-ready frame. He looks like he's like 25 in terms of his build. Yeah. But I could understand teams being like, Brandon Miller has this like wing size that you just can't teach and is so, so valuable. I mean, it, it is an advantage to have your big creator or like one of your big offensive options be a guy that can see over defenses like that it just is and like he offers you that and like you can't develop that you can't go in the lab and spend time in the summer working on stuff with your trainer to like get taller and and see that stuff right like you just can't yeah so like i get it i'm curious to see like how this will happen over the draft stuff i'm and i i I get it i kind of also get scoot shutting it down it's a little bit of a bummer you'd rather just see him play but i also get it like and and i i bet you this will be the norm for some of the really good prospects that go this route as well it, it just it make it makes a well, lot of sure but sense. i mean do you think it says that he's okay going three i i i it feels like this is like risk aversion it feels like when guys go to the combine and just like they don't want to do like if guys don't go play five and five at the combine sure. or nfl draft prospects like don't run the 40 or do the cone drill that's what this feels like to me mm-hmm. 
where it's just like yeah. it's risk aversion. And it, yeah, from that standpoint, of course you understand it. I mean, Scoot is the kind of guy, he already played on Ignite last year. If he didn't even play a game this season, we would already still be talking about him as a top two prospect, I think. So it it makes sense to to not get injured and, and not jeopardize any of that. I It just surprised me the timing. Maybe this was already always the plan, right? And it didn't really have anything to do with any of the draft board crap that we all talk about. And it was just sort of, hey, we're not going to finish the season this year. We'll revisit in March and, and figure it out. And, and that's that. I, I don't know. But Here, here's, um, can I, ask, I will here, say from... I have one other thing on this. Yeah. There is a, there is a difference that like... They said they're not going to make the playoffs, so those games like don't matter. Brandon Miller is going to play in yeah. games that matter. There is like a difference yeah. in, in like in risk and like what you're going to learn from some of these as well. Like I don't know if we would have learned anything new about Scoot if yeah. he played in. I don't know who they're playing, but if they play the Sioux Falls Sky Force or, or pick a pick a team, yeah. the Denver Crew, the Motor City Crew. That's the G League team that's the most fun to reference. This it's is... it's funny that you said that because that's just the one that you have to say <laughs> when you're pulling one out of your ass. It just has to be the Sioux Falls Sky Force. Yeah, because it's like the one that they haven't like the the Heat, of course, like didn't haven't like moved their team and done like the the date the Dade County like Suns or like the like the Dade County Heat or like the Vice City like yeah. whatever like they didn't like they did they kept it in Sioux Falls is because it's like Heat culture baby like you got to go to Sioux Falls and work your way up to actually get to live in Miami. So I think that they actually did that just because it's more fun for all of us to say, uh, if I'm being honest with you. But I think uh, I think that the point you make is valid. I think the fact that Scoot, I mean, a lot of these games have been against better competition than what college would have given to him. But the team hasn't been very good this year. And so it it is, you know, he had the injury in the middle of the year and then it is somewhat of the the Scoot show when he's out there and, and there's not a lot of stakes and, and the team sort of makeup and like setup around him is isn't necessarily maximized they have a lot of athletes and very young players this year compared to past season so i don't know uh i get it with miller he's shooting 51 percent from two 40 percent from three he creates turnovers like a monster he doesn't turn the ball over very much and you mentioned the dimensional stuff he just he's six nine and long and that that archetype is always going to stand out. I have spent time around Scoot, and we can talk about this more as we get closer to the draft, but the institute that I work at at ASU has a partnership with uh, Team Ignite. We provide their educational component or one of their educational components because they're not going to college. So I've I've gotten to talk in depth with Scoot at times. I have gotten to know him, see him around in, in casual environments that dude, I would bet on a hundred times out of a hundred. And I know I'm biased. I know that I don't know everything about him, but I have more of an insight than probably half these GMs do to Scoot Henderson from a personal standpoint. And uh, I, I would absolutely make a bet that that guy can become what you need him to become and what he needs to become. So uh, I do think that should matter, even if the basketball situation has been weird uh, this year. And let's get to... Yeah, go ahead. Just, I just last thing we should say, like maybe this also is like team dependent because like will the Detroit, let's say the of Pistons course. pick second, they have Jaden Ivey who's yeah. done a lot of really interesting stuff lately. He's like I think taking a little bit of a step forward. Are they a scoot team necessarily? Maybe not, and maybe that leads them to Brandon Miller as like yep. another big wing to play with Kate. I think that that like we that has to I think play a part in like how some of these teams are talking about it. I it just can't it just can't not. Even the Rockets or something, right? Like, yeah, it, absolutely. It, it, there isn't sort of that perfect... Not every team is a perfect fit for a guard who ideally has the ball in his hands quite a bit. That That is a, a player type that is less easy to fit in addition to being sort of more replaceable, quote-unquote, than a guy like Brandon Miller or obviously somebody and, like Victor. Well, and if, so, if the Rockets have James it's Harden... It's going to be fascinating. The Rockets will have James Harden sure. and have <laughs> yeah, Jalen exactly. Green. So it's like, what what are you supposed to do? The yeah. uh, the Harden, Scoot, KPJ, <laughs> Jalen Green Rockets with uh, with Shengun at the five. They will they will break records for defensive rating uh, poorness in in their first season together. We'll see what happens. We'll obviously see who wins the lottery, and that'll that'll affect a lot of this. Um, I wanted to just get your quick thoughts on this because we've been saving it for a bit. It keeps getting getting pushed, Chris. But the fact that Team USA here has changed their policy on multi-year commitments as well as these summer mini camps, where compare that to some story 
uh, some reporting earlier in the year from Joe Varden and others about Team Canada, which is now coached by Nick Nurse, in case people miss that changeover, mm-hmm. and could be the best team in the world, depending on who agrees to play for Team USA, not only at the FIBAs this, this fall, but also at next year's Paris Olympics. Yes, there's already going to be an Olympics again. Um, and they are doing what Jerry Colangelo did in the early 2000s, what the uh, Dream Team, or I'm sorry, the uh, Redeem Team documentary got on Netflix about the multi-year commitments and really making this into a program and Coach K bringing, you know, American heroes in to talk to everybody and whatever. Like, it seems like Team Canada is really going that build a culture, build a program route, whereas Team USA is getting more lenient. And I need, I don't know if I need to remind people, they were, I think they finished seventh in the last FIBA tournament. They they had no real problem in the Olympics, but they were not good in the FIBAs. I don't know if this matters to any American NBA player. I don't know if this matters to any American NBA fan, but this is another budding power here in Canada in addition to the other ones that we already know. They're when, People are going to care when they lose. But did they care in 2019? Because they got their you-know-what handed to them, and it doesn't seem like anyone even remembers. I know we had a pandemic, and like people people had some more important stuff to go to to, to care care for in their lives. But like they they were bad in that yeah. in that FIBAs in in 2019. Yeah, but people cared when they when they won a bronze medal at the Olympics. It's like a whole generation defining thing for for them to like lose in that game. And I, Brendan, I just think this kind of sucks. Like. I think I think like part of one of my favorite like I understand like how complicated it can be and like this is the truth for soccer maybe more than anything else where like you're building an international windows and like I'm sure like every like football director and, and manager in Europe was like freaking out about their players going to Qatar and like playing in the World Cup and like hoping to goodness rightly that, so that, that they didn't get injured right <laughs> yeah and like I, I understand that if you're like a, a head of of a team like where you'd be like okay like maybe this just like lessens their their workload a little bit and that's good for me because like it helps me keep my job it helps us win games and everything but like in terms of like seeing this built as a program and turning considering like the fact that there are all these other teams around the world that are like going to take that are taking this to a different level not just canada but like european countries and, and other countries developing really strong talent i think like the commitment i think the effort you put in i think all that stuff does add up and I think, like, at some point, this will probably cost Team USA. Like, it just will. Maybe it doesn't happen in, in, in a sh- the short term. But in the long term, if you keep this up, I think it will. And I, I think, like, I also just think about, like, I remember, like, a lot, like, you listen to guys talk about going up against Kobe in the mini camps and, and working out in the situations and the scrimmaging and stuff. That stuff made them better. That stuff made you a better player. That stuff yeah. made you a better competitor. That helped you learn from guys ahead of you in the league that were older than you when you were a young guy getting to do that. Like I, I think that I think that's a loss too. Like, think about all the young guys that aren't gonna get to maybe go through camps and stuff that they would have benefited from. Like, think of someone like Evan Mobley, someone like Devin Booker. I'm sure have really benefited from being around Team USA. I know Kyrie did back in the day. Like Dame, I know did. Well, I mean, they're probably still gonna hold these camps, but it's right? Not, it's, but just it's just optional. It's just now. like, but it's so like, it's what not, do you do? It's something. It's not. This isn't the same. If you want guys to play for you and you want to develop like the best version of it in the competition. You need this. If I would like love to know what like LeBron or like Carmelo or any of these guys that have been around since like before, yeah. like what they have to think about this, because like that would maybe change my mind sure. more than it would like about like a younger guy. But I would love to know what these what the old heads think about this, because I personally just think you're taking away something by going this route. I get why. And maybe this is being pushed by star players saying like, I, yeah, need, I need rest. I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to see. I mean, the name that comes to mind, number one, not only because he's been around for so long, but also because he's eventually going to need to be replaced and can't be relied upon is Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. You know, he has been the guy that I think they don't win the Olympics in 2020 without him. He was really the only that, that caliber player. There also are fewer and fewer of the best players in the NBA who are American, and that evolution is going to be fascinating. But, um, you know, I think... I don't think it's going to ruin Team USA or that they're going to have some no. sort of crisis on their hands, but it is a it is a major change and it is something that at one point we thought was the key to creating a dominant team and and now we are going into some uncharted territory under Grant Hill here. I want to tell people who's on Team Canada because that's part of why I'm so fascinated by it. The talent is is stacked. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Jamal Murray, RJ Barrett, Lou Dort, 
I believe Andrew Wiggins is, uh, he's obviously Canadian. I don't think he has checked the boxes of these new requirements that they're putting into place. So there's a little bit of uncertainty if he will play, right? Uh, Zach Eady, who is about to potentially lead Purdue to a deep run in the NCAA tournament. And then some role players, Dylan Brooks, Kelly Olenek, guys like that. Um, So that, that already shows you how legit it is. Nick Nurse is a very good coach. I just think that is going to be very formidable. And I do think when you talk about caring, maybe it will take losing the Olympics for people to really worry, really care, really react. But I do think potentially the proximity part of this, where it's it's a country that has an NBA team, it is recognizable names and faces. It's not one Euro guy and a bunch of people we've never heard of rolled out around him. You know, It is people we know and, and care about and, and a country that's right next to us. I could see that dynamic or rivalry affecting all of this. Um, And I think from a Team USA standpoint, to transition to our next thing, not to lump another NBA story onto this particular player, but I think that there is a very open John Morant question about Team USA, Mm -hmm. Chris, because he would be the obvious player. Him and Zion, although Zion, I would be more than understanding if he never set foot on a FIBA or Olympic court, because I think he only has so many minutes in him, and I don't necessarily think he should be spending them on this. But Ja being the guy, right, who you would think, well, if he joins, that is part of how you replace Kevin Durant. Devin Booker's already there. Bam Adebayo's already there. Some of these other guys. So we can transition to to him, and not that that's anywhere near the biggest priority well, for him, but it is connected here. It is his future is is part of this, well, right? And the other thing is with just the last thing on the job with Team USA thing is like Darius yeah. Garland part was is in the same class as him has already participated in Team USA. And whether yeah. that matters to the next regime, he's been from he's already been in that program. He's already gone through all of it. And like maybe that matters to them saying, Hey, you showed us a commitment earlier. You were around. Like we kept you around in the lead up to that, to that like to, to this stuff when you made an impression on us. Maybe that matters. Maybe that that like maybe like Jaws is just so good that it doesn't matter, but like it's like Darius Garland is like a bad player. It's like, okay, you don't want to show up, do the work, that's fine. That, that, like that could matter. Yeah, I th- I think it will for the young players. You know, I think really the, the the guidelines changing here is probably just a way to open the door for more of the superstars to just check in a month before the Olympics and 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 get to compete rather than feeling like they have to jump through a million hoops. But for young players, I do think the uh, the the track record matters. Like Mikhail Bridges is a guy. He went to the mini camp two years ago. No one thought he was going to make the team, but I got to interview him about it, and he was thrilled that he, he got that opportunity. You know, and he had an awesome experience. Got to be around different basketball minds and other players and different ways that guys do things. And then you come out of that not only better and 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 well off for it, but you also show the program guys like. Grant Hill or head coach Steve Kerr, whatever, who are old school guys, even if they are younger than Jerry Colangelo, right? But like, they're going to care. You know, the, the coach is going to care, mm-hmm. of course. So we'll have to see. Uh, John Morant, he is checked in, uh, depending on where you see it. We don't know when. I don't think he checked into the counseling program that he is at in Florida the day that the reports came out. Because you've seen some subsequent stuff that he might have already been there. Taylor Jenkins, I guess, confirmed it with a head nod, Chris, is what the the indication seems to be. But he also left the door open for Ja to potentially return after the four games that they have ruled him out for already, which I believe ends later this week. So I feel like that is soon. If you're telling me he's at a retreat-like counseling program in Florida to just jump into the starting lineup for an NBA basketball game less than a week later... But I guess that is a possibility. And we now know sort of how he's spending his time away from the team rather than the very vague statement that was put out before. I have no interest in seeing him play for like a while. I really don't. I, I am very, I am very, very interested to see how they handle this. The, the way Taylor Jenkins has talked about it has been very much like there was a press release written and I'm reading these words and they almost just sound like you're reciting them and prepping them, which makes sense. But like, they, they don't sound like a, like a response that is like, Hey, like I'm reacting to this in real time with you. You can read between the lines how you want to. We're not going to, I think, talk about that. Cause that's not really fair to kind of do in, in a public setting like this. I just don't, pre- like if he plays in a week, I just think that's going to be weird. I, I think this whole situation 
is unprecedented in a lot of ways. I don't really know what to make of it in a lot of ways. You obviously hope the human being is okay at the end of this more than anything else. And I'm sure like there is some responsibility felt to to the team and wanting to come back and stuff, but boy, <laughs> seeing him play like in a week or seeing him play like whenever, it just feels weird to me, you know? Just with everything that has gone on, with, with everything kind of out there, it feels weird. All right, so uh, John Morant is an undetermined. We don't know what's going to happen. I think what you said was, was very well put. We just wanted to check in on that story, Chris. But the main topic of today's show, let's get right to it. Uh, these NBA veteran standouts. I don't know of a better way to put it because what we're going to debate here or talk through, Chris, is whether it is truly the best season of their careers. But statistically, there are a lot of players around the NBA that you can go to where the box scores, their basketball reference page, whatever the case may be, would tell you they're having the best season they've ever had in their life. And I think it's an interesting way to look at what the league sort of is right now. The players that you and I, these are only a few. I feel like we, we bumped around a few uh, more than this. Lillard, Damian Lillard, Darren Fox, Jimmy Butler, Chris Apps, Porzingis. You brought up Zach Levine as an example. I brought up Devin Booker as an example. When we were talking uh, uh, before we were about to record, I was watching, um, well, we were talking about the Bucks game earlier, Bucks Kings. I think Drew Holiday could yeah. be put on this list. A first-time All-Star for the first time in, in years. Uh, since, I think, 11 years ago, Drew Holiday was last an All-Star, and now here he is again. So who do you want to start with? I, I think Jimmy Butler, if I didn't say that, yeah, he's on here too. Who do you want to start with in this group that kind of indicates or highlights exactly the phenomenon that that we're talking about here so i want i want to start with with dame because i think he's been the best player on this list i think we should start them i think he's having an incredible run i think he's having one of the very best seasons of anyone in the league i think this is probably the best season of dame's career in a lot of ways 32.1 points per game he's averaging 7.3 assists he's at 57.8 percent on twos that's the best mark of his career by far his true shooting percentage is up near 65 percent and and this is Brennan, this is kind of a through line to like all four of these guys. But Dame has like adjusted his game in a way that like is very Hooper friendly, but it's also very nerd friendly. The nerds have won in this case with these guys. Like the ways these guys are playing is very analytically friendly. It is very modern. He's initiated contact at a really high rate. He's his by far career high in free throws. He's taking eleven point threes eleven point three threes per game. He's at he's yeah like absolutely just killing it from there. Most notably, he's at thirty seven point four percent on pull ups, which is like launching a flamethrower at opposing defenses. Like that's that's now like one of the most horrifying shots in basketball if it wasn't already. And that's over at seven uh, attempts per game. It's a seven percent percentage increase from last year, which he's just being way way more accurate on those shots for whatever reason. And he's tied for his career low in percent in the percentage of his shots that are long mid rangers. So he's still taking some of them. It's like nine percent but he's cut them down a little bit. He is so efficient. He's playing up to everything you could want. And it's, I, I think, Brendan, maybe the most impressive thing is that this is like a great way for a Dame to age. Initiating contact, savvy, pull-up threes that are still going to be hard to guard. Like, this is like an evolution of Dame to me to some degree. It's like the best version of him and everything he's already good at. But this is a way, I think, for him to kind of continue to be awesome as he, as he kind of hits the next couple years of his career and whatever is going to come next in Portland. I think whatever's going to come next in Portland is kind of an interesting part of this when you talk about him aging and what his game is going to look like because sure. I didn't know if he was capable of this, right? And and if you're telling me that he's going to be able to still do this, and maybe that season last year where he missed a lot of it was for the better. I mean, I don't think it's crazy to say, like, you know, Curry had one of those and, and he came back very good. I, I don't know if that's related or or unrelated, but I could see it helping him physically. I just look at Lillard. He actually has had seasons. I was just looking while you were talking where he's taken more pull-up threes per game than this. Uh, the two seasons, mm -hmm. uh, the two COVID seasons, basically, the one that led in and the one that was very shortened afterward with the 72 games were both 
7.6 and 8.1 threes off the dribble per game. And he was as efficient or better. So we've kind of seen that. We're seeing more assisted threes for him, which is interesting considering he did play with McCollum. I think that this roster is fine. Uh, I think it's different. Obviously, there is no CJ. Simons has missed a lot of time recently. But I, the reason I put all that context there and kind of try to, to place the, the roster part of it around him and, and everything else is, it kind of comes back, we talked about this with Adam Mares, right? And it's been on my mind since of like, is Dame, it's incredible that he's able to do this. That is an achievement. Is it good that he has to? Is it good that... Um, the burden is so heavy on him, especially as they're supposed to be reformulating and figuring out something new. That's where I wonder. And I also think, well, could he have always done this, but he just had CJ McCollum and maybe that was actually a better mix for him to have another score like that. Or is this something where you really would be able to say, okay, for at least a couple more years, we could get this from Lillard. What should we build off of that? I don't know. It's, it's fascinating for Portland because we always just put it as is Lillard staying. Okay, great. Now they're going to keep winning. But, like, you got to build something that that makes them better. What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, like, we we haven't hit on this, and this is, I think, part of the, the unfortunate part for Dame that he's having this season, and, like, they might not make the playoffs. They might yeah. not. This team isn't very good. This team is stuck in a certain place. There's a lot of really young pieces. Like, Simons is interesting. Like, they have... Shaden Sharp is interesting. Like, they have things that you like, but it's like, Yusuf Nurkic is not, like particularly good anymore and he's like their starting center and owed a bunch of money going forward and like they're gonna pay Jeremy Grant like a bunch of money and it, and it's tricky and it's not fun and like I think in an optimal scenario like he would have like there's maybe like a version of the CJ to Pelican trade that's obviously more high profile but like gets him somewhere where he could have evolved in a certain way and done something else he's not having to do this just to kind of keep the team afloat um that yeah. doesn't take away from the fact that, like, I think what he's doing is, like, incredibly impressive, and there's not many guys alive that I think could do some of the stuff he's doing, right? But certainly, I don't think it's unfair to look at this and also say, like, you know what? Like, should he have to do this? Should Is it best for him? Is it best for, like, whatever his goals are for him to have to do this? The answer is probably no. I think most of the time, the answer is probably no. Should the guy yeah. have to play this maximalist level to kind of make his team kind of function? Well, and that's the thing is like, I think that conversation gets had a lot right about, well, should he want to be traded? Should he get traded? All that. I almost think about it in, in terms of just like the Blazers. I don't think that they're, I, I understand that they have financial constraints that are very obvious based on how they operate. They're not going to be a team that's going to spend a ton, a ton, a ton of money and mortgage the future and do all that. We're not going to see a Rudy Gobert trade from this franchise. That's understandable. I which, think the Nurkic which, contract and some of these yeah, other smart. things hampered them. Um, yeah, it's smart. I don't think it's the wrong decision, but I also think you have to nail the ones you do make and they just haven't. Um, and so you get this season where on the one hand, you're thrilled that you just extended this guy. He's getting into his thirties and he can still do this, but it does uh, start to open up some other questions. The guy that inspired this for me, Chris is Jimmy Butler. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's, I think he's the right he, pair. He's he the right really, pairing with Dame. He is, because he's a veteran. It's a little bit unexpected, right? And I think it's a couple things from Jimmy. You mentioned the twos with Lillard. It's it's similar here to 55.1%, by far a career best for Butler. I think he's a little bit in, uh, he has like a career low in turnovers right now. I think he might be close to a career high in steal percentage. Some of the other stats also, it's not just the twos, but that's the one that jumps out. I think the other one though is, he is playing a lot more games than he has in recent seasons. He's healthy right now. If he were to finish the season, he would blow out of the water some of his recent games played totals. And meanwhile, just like with Portland, the Heat are just not really benefiting all that much. Maybe they are. Maybe they would be just like awful without him. But he is not having this type of season on a team where if they had come back from last year's Eastern Conference Finals and you said Butler's going to be even better in the regular season, you'd have been like, wow, the Heat might make the finals. They might be back in the championship series. And that is not the case. They've been substantially worse than last year despite getting this from Butler. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I I think the 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 way to go with this for me with Butler is just like how much worse is the team if he's ten per? How much worse is Miami if he's ten percent worse? If he misses five more games, this his team is already not that good. They're not. They're yeah. they're gonna be like they're gonna get Boston or something and run one. They're probably gonna be really annoying, and then they're gonna go home. That's probably where this is headed with Miami, right? But it won't because of Jimmy. There was just an ESPN feature, I think, by Nick Friedle about like the standard of Jimmy and winning and like all this stuff and it's cliche and like all that stuff. But like this is, that's what Jimmy is. Jimmy is like one of the most competitive guys in the league. He will drag you into dogfights. He like that, like they are just annoying to play basically every night they're out. But like in a season where like Kyle Lowry's missed a ton of time and is not Kyle Lowry in the way that you would want anymore. And like, like you can only, Jimmy can only drag you so far when like not yeah. a lot of other stuff is it like, like Kevin, like, when you when you sign Kevin Love off the scrap heap and he's a buyout and start him and he's not good like that, you're looking for answers. You're searching for solutions. And like they just don't have enough solutions around Jimmy. Jimmy's been awesome. He should be like in the all NBA running, I think. He's having just like an insane season across the board. He's like thirty like for him, he's like at thirty three point seven percent on threes, which which is like for him like a great number. It's his best Miami number by far. Fifty five point one percent on twos, that's the best number of his career. 85.1% of the line. He's guaranteed to get just like a bunch of free throws every single night. And if it's a big game, he's going to get like 15. As annoying as people may find like the, the Jimmy free throw merchant stuff, that's like, it's a skill for him. He's awesome at it. And it makes him what who he is. Well, and when you're stronger than everybody, like we all, wouldn't yeah. we all? I mean, it's not like it's yeah, cheap, 100%. right? It's just like, he's a physical strong dude and he uses it to his, his advantage. Yeah, oh, I'm with you. I love Jimmy. Jimmy Butler is one of like yeah. my absolute favorites. I love the competitor. I love the ethic. I love just everything about what he kind of brings. Like one of my favorite things from the pot, like, you know, noted Jersey retirement hater that I am, I really love that he flew out there. I thought that was awesome that he just like he had a game the For next Powell. night. Yeah. And he flew out to go see Pow and he like sees Pow's wife and he sees his family, says hi, takes took a Pow jersey back with him. Right, like he took a Powell yeah. Laker jersey because he's like that. Like I love everything Jimmy is about, and the he, and he like is dragging this team to whatever it is. Him and Bam, but I think yeah, more so Jimmy or what drags this team. There. Yeah, he's been vocal about his frustration recently too, which makes this an interesting time to talk about him because he has started to just be open with the media about you know the grind of trying to do this and and putting so much on my back and and just a, a normal season even if it was not his best season it's it's exhausting it's tiring and when he doesn't feel like the the grind is leading to anything fruitful it gets pretty exhausting and i think that opens up some questions about where he'll go but part of the big picture conversation i think that drew us to this topic chris was just don't, what does it say about these players one but what does it say about the league and nba basketball right now as a secondary thing and it's easy to say these guys are having these seasons because of the the era we're in uh, the offensive efficiency being off the charts the spacing the the pace all that stuff i think there's one guy on this list that i absolutely do chalk it up to that with but butler what's fascinating is the heat are one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the nba Mm -hmm. They never were like the most spaced out team because they always have bam. Uh, even Jimmy, when he's off the ball, doesn't really, you know, space the floor a ton in terms of, you know, running off screens and really demanding defensive attention in that way. And yet he's having this incredibly efficient shooting season without a lot of space to operate in. And so I think this one is probably the most real thing that I would, that I find here because yes, it's more responsibility than he should need, but it's kind of the answer to the question I think a lot of us have had when we've looked at it and said, you know, what would a Jimmy season be where he just played at playoff Jimmy level or close to it all year? And we're kind of seeing what that looks like, which is crazy. Yeah. And like, I think it's like him and Shay are kind of proof that like you don't need to be a three point guy only to be super successful. Like it helps. Three is worth more than two. But like these guys have found a lot of success with footwork, with with size, with strength, with with knockdown shot making ability to kind of have these really hyper efficient, really good seasons by doing this. And Jimmy is he's stronger than like most any wing who's gonna guard him. Even like the big, really good defensive wings, he yeah. is gonna like make them absolutely like have to, to burn a ton of energy defending him. Um and it and it's also just envision it like 
in a different scenario, it would be so easy to see him scaled up and see it like a, a maybe like a more distributor heavy version of Jimmy, where like I'm saying Jimmy like I know him. Um, Butler's like a generic the, last name. You can't you know with guys yeah. like it's like when people like Mike Breen will always call LeBron James James like blocked yeah, by James wrong. like the iconic call. It's yeah, weird. That's it's only, like who? That's the only, is there a guy named good, James out there? Yeah, it's the only good time that's ever been used. Um, that's why I call Hart and Big Jim. Harden's just big Jim in my head. There you go. Um, Butler came. At, Butler like scaled up as like a hey, like hey, like we're gonna we surround you with like a bunch of shooting and like like him plus Bam plus like a ton of shooting would just be like like incredible if they just had like one like other two way kind of wing and then like competent shooting. Kind of what they like were more, last year, right? Like a ver- like a younger kind of like more sustainable version of that. Like if you pop Jimmy, like. Mm-hmm. Like pick pick a team like you could pick other teams in the league where like it, it's like funny because it's like I think right where it's like it's funny because you th- I would think like it'll obviously never happen but like Cat is such like a fun big man pairing with him from a basketball perspective but like <laughs> clearly that, that clearly didn't just well. like that that didn't go well but if you put him like you put him in a bunch of different scenarios that there's just a bunch of shooting and you surround him with it like you know like I like I, I think you could do something really interesting just kind of with that as like a as a team building model and Miami could retool in that way yeah. and be successful it's just like it's going to take like turning Duncan Robinson into like a guy who could play basketball in 2023 yeah and you know I think on the other side him and Bam are such a, a an awesome defensive identity to to build around but then offensively I don't think anyone would say it's like the best fit ever for the two of them so like in a factory, in a in a lab, sure. if you could build it out, that probably wouldn't be what you would do. So it's funny. It's just, you know, you you make the best of what you are. There last year we would have felt like it was perfect. Some of their shooting falls off and we feel a little differently, but Butler's been the the constant kind of pusher there. Speaking of can playing I, wait, doing can it I, can I just, can a I lot pitch from you? three. Okay. Go ahead. I just wanna I wanna yes, pitch this me. is gonna be the, the the first just sports like show that we launch. When Jimmy Butler retires, I wanna okay. just send him for a week to like the most dysfunctional like teams we can find and he gets to like whip them into shape for a week it's uh High school. it's it's the gordon ramsay restaurant show where he goes to like poor uh, poorly run little mom and pop kitchen shops cafes and and just yells at them but it's basketball that's yeah the, it's bar that's it's, it's bar, we gotta go to fox bar, for this i think yeah, yeah bar, bar rescue, rescue exactly bar it's, it's bar rescue but jimmy butler and like the first team i'd be like we're sending jimmy butler to the houston rockets Ooh. Basketball rescue. I think that's I think we've landed on a on a name here. And I think that he Rock. could get sent to the Washington Wizards, which is where I was going. <laughs> uh I here's the this is exactly what I was talking about. So Chris Porzingis was one of the first people who came to mind with this topic for me, Chris, because he scored a career high 43 last week, so he's kept it going. He had a very strong start to the season. I decided to check back in with Washington, one of the teams that I hate watching most in the entire NBA, and I was reminded of why. And I don't want to discredit his season, but uh, it reminds me back to the Celtics conversation we had at the beginning of fake ball movement and fake spacing. Or in a, put a different way, the regular season like superpower that is playing five out basketball. They do start Daniel Gafford, but they'll have Porzingis at the five a lot. Gafford is often just a role man and it's four out with that, whatever the case may be. I don't feel like the, it just watching the wizards does not feel like they have much of a plan. Does not feel like they play particularly hard on any given night. And they kind of just get a ton of shot ups shots up. And what sucks is they have talent. And Porzingis is one of the guys that has a lot of talent. And I just watched these, these stats. He's in a contract year. They don't have a very good defense. They don't have a very winning pedigree as a team. And it feels pretty empty, if I'm being completely honest. And it bums mm-hmm. me out because I think it's a good story if Porzingis can get on to a better team and make good on the promise that we all know he has. But this is not that, despite what the stats would tell you. No, I agree. Like this team isn't good. I think it's really interesting to see. Like he's another guy where, like you, I went and read a NBC Sports DC thing about him, and it was like he's changed his game about how he how he's looked at me. And it's like the the SEO is how analytics have evolved Chris Porzingis game Wizards. Like it, it, this is like he is yeah. 
change his game to fit the modern NBA. And like he he's also in a contract situation. Like I believe he can be a free agent this summer if I'm if I'm not mistaken. And like that he's probably looking and say, okay, yep. where can I what can I parlay myself into to to maybe like be this version of me and go somewhere else and like maybe win some basketball games and play at a, at a higher level and kind of fulfill my promise in that way. I don't know what that looks like. Cap space can be a little bit weird. I don't know how much money he's looking for, but um, he's well, that's been, the question like, that I have. Yeah. That's the question that I have is, and we talk about this era and what, how people play and, and how teams are designed. And in the wizards case, what does it take in 2023 to be mediocre, which seems like they're their primary goal every season they don't really aspire to much more than that it doesn't seem like and they don't allow themselves Mm -hmm. to ever get worse than that and i feel like you can just be mediocre very easily in the nba these days if you have enough shooting and you have enough offensive talent and you don't turn the ball over and do things like that you're gonna be fine you're gonna be in the play-in mix and that's what they are Porzingis plays no defense. He doesn't even really appear to be interested in doing that most nights. And I don't necessarily even blame him because I don't know if the other four guys on the floor really are either. This is just, it's bizarre to say because it's really not from a production standpoint. It's a contract year paradise. Just ask Kyle Kuzma, right? But it's from a basketball situation, I think it's pretty bad. I like I don't know if I'm a front office executive looking at Chris Haps Porzingis this summer I guess he's proven he can be healthy. He's proven he can make shots. He's expanded his game a little bit in some of the ways you talked about. He's better from mid-range this year, et cetera. But are you like chomping at the bit to get Porzingis, this version of Porzingis onto your team? What like what championship team is is he going to come to based on how he's playing now? And you're going to be like, all right, final piece. We got it. Yeah, and and it, that's also just because I think because of the 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 money he's making. Like I think of him and, and Nikola Vucevic is sort of like similar in that way. It's like I like these players. They're obviously very skilled. There's things they do really really well, and they're better than than some of the other options you have as far as centers go. But you're also in this position where like <laughs> you're also in this position where it's like they have these liabilities, and like the scalability of their game is like an open question. And like how specialized does your roster need to be? to build with him. I, I, I'm curious to just see Brennan, like what you think, what, like what do you think would be like the right, if you could put Porzingis on like a good team right now or a team with aspirations, like do you have one that kind of, that kind of comes to mind? I have, I have two. The only one, cause I was thinking about this watching him today and, and, and prepping for this. I feel like the only one I could really come up with would be the Celtics uh, being in that Horford role. Yeah, but okay. that's not a perfect fit. So what are the two that you had? Well, so I, I kind of expand. I, I, I expanded this to be like other teams that are like that. I think he would fit better and then have maybe higher aspirations than the Wizards seems to have. So I went I went Portland. Yes. Because I think like you could just okay. do some offensive stuff and the defensive stuff there. I'm not going to deny wouldn't that would be a huge problem. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that like that's great because it's like a grant. Porzingis like four or five is just like asking to get like roasted. And I, I'm, I'm acknowledging that, but like offensively, I think like it could yeah. be interesting. I think him and Bam could be kind of interesting. If you were to go that route, Miami desperately needs just like any kind of stuff from their four spot. They need yeah. a shooter from that spot. And they've made it work with like miles, uh, Myers Leonard and Kelly Olenek who are not going to really be defensive difference makers either. So yeah, that's a good yeah, call. Put, yeah, like say like, hey, Porzingis, go to Miami. You play like the, you be our Al Horford in a lot of ways. Like you're not going to be as good defensively, but we believe you can give us more offensive juice and Bam's going to cover for you defensively. And like, you're going to get easy threes because Jimmy's going to create for you. That like, that to me would be like, a, would make a ton of sense from a basketball fit. He also like, honestly, the other one that I'm just thinking about it, the Orlando Magic. Yeah, they like players like that. Really long. I just, you know what it, you know what it reminds me of is the conversation we had about marketing, because one of the things that I think you and I both were excited about when we went back and like dug in on him is yes, he's a great shooter. And yes, he has figured out how to get open, uh, making shots at a higher level, all that stuff. But he has also figured out how to continue to incorporate his physicality and size into the way that he plays. That's part of why, I mean, he's also not quite as tall as Porzingis. And I do understand asking somebody who's seven, three to defend in the modern NBA is hard, no matter what. Uh, but Markinen has figured out a way to be able to guard a lot of these guys. He doesn't really like stand out defensively in a really bad way. 
And I just think that's the difference between what Porzingis could be and what he what he is right now is you just can't be seven three and and not guard in any situation. Like you just have to find a team where he can have his role simplified and protect the rim and do his thing. Like maybe the Bucks in in place of Brook Lopez. That could be another example, you know, <laughs> yeah, but with he, Giannis. But, he's, but, but like, I, I think the thing is he's never going to hold defensively in that way. And that's where, yeah. that's, well, where gonna, but, that's where you're going to... So that, then what that, is he? I mean, like, yeah. is he just destined to be on mediocre teams forever? Is that, like, is that the, the future? Because, I mean, there's guys like that. I don't, I mean, it's kind of, like, you know, rude to say. I would never tell them that to their face, but we've seen a lot of careers like that, right? Are him and Levine kind of, like... Two guys like this, like two different heights, obviously, but like the Spider-Man meme, like pointing at each other. Yeah, they kind of are. I think that can be a good way to transition because you had you had Levine and you had De'Aaron Fox. I'll let you go off on either one of those. The last one that I had on my list uh, was was Drew Holiday, who I do want to mention because he's he's pretty similar here in a lot of the trends that we're talking about. He's at a not a career best in twos, but 54 percent and just making shots at a level that I don't think he had been, including at the free no, throw he, line and then the, upping, the, upping his assist game. So let me, the, the three he hit, they lost that game, but the three he hit to respond to Curry and golden state was just like, I, I love drew. He is like, he's one of my favorites. Cause he's just like going to do something reckless, like once a game. And I'm just like, I respect the boldness of it. Um, let me ask you this just kind of on, on the drew thing. Cause I, I think he's worth talking about. And this is this is something I meant to ask you during the Dame conversation as well as like kind of a sidebar on it. So those guys I think are both to different levels in the All NBA conversation, right? Does is Dame's All NBA like for? I think he has to be on one of the three teams, but is his first team candidacy I- impacted for you based on their record compared to other candidates? I think that it is, but. Um... Not by a ton. Like, I just think he, we know the roster around him is so bleak that yeah, it, it can't be penalized that much. I also think Dame is somebody where he at least has the benefit of, we've seen him do it on winning teams before. I think that the times when I punish it is for young players on bad teams where maybe they start to have success individually before the team success kind of follows. And it's like, sure, well... Did you really do that? Or, you know, so, but with Lillard, it's like, we know what the value is. He's at like the top of a lot of these EPMs and, and BPM stuff too, which shows that the impact is there. So I don't think I would penalize him, but Drew's been awesome when Giannis hasn't been out there. You know, he's really yeah. held up their team and gotten some big wins where it's like really just him as far as an offensive initiator goes. Uh, all NBA guards is going to be a bloodbath. I have I think I have. I, I want to check year. myself. It, I, it's just such a deep pool. I had a tweet the other day that I want to like because I I said this publicly, so I need to like verify what I said to make sure like I'm gonna hold myself accountable here. That's what we do here on the Just Basketball Show. Um, I think I have five well, guys holiday. that I feel. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say Holiday's case is. A lot of the winning that they did without the Bucks, or with that, that the Bucks did without Giannis, and you mentioned pull-up threes with a lot of these guys. This is the most pull-up threes that that Holiday's ever taken, which is a, a, a defense-bending type of shot that you have to develop in the modern NBA if you're going to be a guard and create offense. He's has mm-hmm. them. He's attempting the most of them he has in his career, and he's at 36. percent So he's improved in these key ways. His assists, like I just said, I think are a career high. He's demonstrably gotten better, and he helped them win when uh, you know a lot of players wouldn't be able to. But I don't feel like he's going to make it. No, I don't think he is either. Which is like that—that that just speaks to the to the talent pool. Here, here would be the the fear of my five guys. I think I have to be on there right now. Tell me if I'm if I'm nuts about this. And the sixth guy that I think I would have in there right now is De'Aaron Fox. So we can go to him next. Okay. Luca and Dame, Donovan Mitchell and Shea Gillis Alexander, and James Harden. Yeah, I think we did this when we were talking about the Kings because you brought up Fox, and I I still feel like I would have, if, if Curry plays at this level and doesn't miss another game, yeah. I think he has to be a part of that conversation. And yeah, I, and like if SGA I would probably if push SGA, Harden down a little bit in that. Yeah, and or if like SGA just like takes some time off, you know. Sure. 
maybe goes to France yeah. and like sees Victor Wembanyama play or something, or just like is at the Ghost Hotel in Oklahoma City. Yeah, right. Become becomes one of the ghosts. Uh, he's like, hey, have, he's uh, like, have okay. you read Boomtown? He's like, have you read Boomtown? There's a lot of cool stuff in Oklahoma City. But like, yes, yeah, I have read Boomtown. What a great book. I have not. I would have. To, I would be answering no. To wow. That okay, never, Brendan. I'll be. Read the, uh, the great. Brendan, on the on the side, hit me your book. hit me your address. I'm gonna I'm gonna mail you my copy because it is it is okay. one of the best basketball books I've ever read, and it's also like about a city, and it's insane, and you need to read it. I will, and I hope Shay has. But give me your Fox <laughs> thoughts to get us out of here, because okay. he so, uh, he's pretty good example of a lot of these trends too. Yeah. So I, we hit on this the other day, but like. 57.9% on twos, 32.9 on threes, 78% at the rim, which is just like beautiful stuff. Um, they He has obviously his speed and the body control is a really big deal in terms of him navigating half courts over everything. The body control in particular has is really nice. Like go back to the Knicks game from like a week ago. Uh, there, there's some incredible finishes and, and craft in the lane from Fox that I think is really worth highlighting. But like they did a really smart thing in terms of roster construction for him, which is Sabonis plus a lot of shooting makes his life so much easier. They have set him up to be successful. It is like, it is like, it is not like one to one. So I don't mean it kind of like this, but it's like when in the NFL, it's like they have a quarterback and they set up the offense to be like very quarterback friendly and like give him like a lot of play action and checkdowns and like build in a structure. I think the Kings, with the way they built the roster, built a structure that is perfectly suited for Deer and Fox. And he's feasted and he deserves credit for maximizing the opportunity. But like with all the shooting, with all the length, with Sabonis as like a screener and kind of the hub and kind of a guy that unlocks some things and it is another chess piece, like he's really feasted in that regard. And it's because the Kings like embraced like so much of the positives of the modern NBA, I think. Yeah, I mean, they, they're the through line to, you know, the seven seconds or less Suns or those Donnie Nelson or Don Nelson mm, Warriors or whatever those those teams you look at, right? They have the the playmaking five. They have the point guards, you know, head of the snake who can push the pace and get into the lane and kick out and all that stuff. Um, I I wonder for you, was this something we didn't talk about the other day when we went long on the Kings that is a question for me, which is, uh, do you think that his lack of ability to shoot threes will will burn them at all in the playoffs? Or do you think he's just figured out how to make up for that himself? And, and that, that nasty first step, the craft inside, yes, it'll affect how teams guard him, but he's going to have an answer for it. Cause I think you could go either way. I, I tend to, th- I'm tending to be an optimist. I think he's going to figure it out, particularly in the right matchups. Yeah. Like I, I think like they play, if they get like Dallas in round one, I don't really have like a huge concern that he's not going to be able to figure that out. Like is guy staying in front of him. Probably not. You know, if they get Golden State, like I, like, like honestly, like this version of Clay is probably not containing Fox off the off the bounce in the way you kind of hope. But you get into like, you know, like some of these teams with like real, like if like hypothetically, like if you're, I and I kind of want to go back and rewatch it just to watch how he defended him. But like Drew is like absolutely like a guy that I think could kind of will him into some really tough situations. Like um, any anyone with yeah. like a strong point of attack, like the guile of Chris Paul. Like maybe gets him in like some weird situations or like dude does like no dude like Chris Paul cannot stay in front of Darren. Okay, Fox. I, I'm trying to give the point God some credit. That's not happening. Uh, okay, but does like dude does like KCP as like a longer, bigger wing like kind of give him some fits in that way? You know and, like, who I think would is I think if they played Memphis in the second round, um, you know <laughs> Dylan Brooks guarding him and then you know rim protection <laughs> at the basket that that well, would d- be interesting d- to me. Yeah, Dylan he, Dylan Brooks also is like liable to like get in a fight with Darren Fox, so like. Well, great. I mean, Darren Fox had some had some uh, some words after the the Giannis Lyles Lopez yeah. kerfuffle. So I think Fox of, would, would of, match the the, the lot noise. Of, a lot of choking in the NBA lately. Yeah, you you just blew right past that in the in the what matters most. I feel like two separate instances of of just like hand around the neck on an NBA court was uh, was a pretty big one. But uh, I think that's all we wanted to get to today. The league well, is genuinely more talented. I, I just think we have a lot of these conversations about the evolution, Chris. And like a lot of Ready the time you, I come back to like, yeah, but these guys are awesome. Do, do, is, is your answer that Fox though, just to, on the record to we're, we're even here. Yeah. Did you, do you think Fox like, is it, do you have the same answers to me that it is kind of matchup dependent, but you trust that a lot of yeah. it gets, he'll, he'll be able to do a lot. 
Yeah, I think he'll okay. be fine because I think like the the Suns the other night had him scouted well. Josh Okogie is a, is a Dylan Brooks type, and they by in the end of the game they were doing everything they could to just switch him off. But in the beginning, you saw Okogie. Fox wants to get to the floater more so than he really wants to get all the way to the basket a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Or if if there is going to be a rim protector like Aiton, he's comfortable and that's kind of his default. They had that scouted. Okogi blocked him once. They knew that was coming. He was trying to draw charges on that. And then Fox just figured it out. Like, I just think he's not, you know, he's not in year three, right? He's in like six or seven. And I just think he has a lot of this stuff figured out. I also think he makes threes enough. It's not like he's 22%. He's like 33. Yeah. So... Yeah, and and then you mentioned you know the he has more space to work with than like almost any point guard in the NBA, and they play so fast that they're not even really having to score against a set defense all that often. So yeah, I I think he's going to be fine. I think him and Sabonis are both going to produce offensively the same way they have. I think them as a team are. It's just the other end. Yeah, I I think that's right. I I very excited. Is uh is Joshua should Joshua Kogi like brand himself when he get, wants a new contract as like Dylan Brooks but nicer? Sure, they've both had to wear face masks in recent seasons. They both uh, draw charges. They both, yeah, but Okogi's nicer. I don't even Josh think he's o- even in double-digit technical fouls, let yeah, alone already getting to the suspension. Josh Okogi is like Dylan Brooks, who doesn't describe hitting someone in the nuts as like extending his arm. I don't know if you saw that quote yeah, in that exactly. big ESPN Dylan Brooks feature, I did. but he was just like, my, my arm rotated, and I'm like, sure it did, Dylan. Sure it did. Kogi uh, doesn't wear weird WWE outfits to yeah, games. He doesn't, There's a lot he of differences. <laughs> how a much would you need to get? How, um, how much would you? How much would someone need to pay you to, to rock the Dylan Brooks like leather open chest vest and George look? I would need like a lot of money. I would need a lot of money, and I would need a lot of time because I would need to to work on some things physically before I made the leap into <laughs> sure. uh, into doing that. Yeah. Same. Same. Yeah, so maybe like a, a nice gym membership plus like a check might be my yeah, my negotiation like or- there. Orange Orange Theory and like several hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, exactly. Yes, maybe the salary Brooks gets. I'll I'll take that. Um, <laughs> all right, that'll wrap us up for the week. Thank you for listening to the Just Basketball Show wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to follow us on social media as well. We are on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you are, we are. A big thanks to Dylan Heiser and Jake Stevens for producing this show. We'll catch you guys next week.